Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think the foundation to like having a really solid relationship with money in your relationship is to say and talk about what your goals are, how you were raised around money. We got to get to the context because so often we see the difference and we judge. So figuring out how you both got to where you are. And sometimes there are icebreakers. Like maybe you don't say like, can you show me your W2? But you say like, tell me about college. What was that experience for you? Did you like go part-time? Did you work? Did you get a scholarship? No, I got student loan debt. Okay, that's fine. That's not a deal breaker. But the next step is like, what is your relationship with that? How are you like dealing with that right now? I mean, having these really thoughtful conversations that are personal about each other's financial situations can reveal a lot about this person's willingness to work through financial challenge, their open-mindedness or closed-mindedness, asking about how they were raised. I mean, one of the questions I ask on my podcast all the time is what is a memory about money that you had growing up that really sticks out because maybe it continues to guide you or haunt you? That's revealing. And it's not to, again, use that as a weapon against your partner, but it's just to give yourself an understanding of where they're coming from. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, 
you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Hola, mi gente. I am so excited for this special episode. I am bringing you a live recording of a conversation that I had with the one and only Farnoosh Tarabi. Yes, that Farnoosh, about what it means to be a breadwinning woman. This conversation happened live in Puerto Rico at the first inaugural Our Money, Our Power Summit. This summit was an idea that I had floating in my head for years, and I wanted to create an inclusive space where we as Latinos, Latinas, Latines could come together and talk about wealth and financial freedom in an unapologetic way. There was laughter, tears, perreo, community. This event was, I can't even describe, honestly, I can't even describe the feeling in the room of what it was like to gather in community, to meet Yo Quiero Dinero followers and fans and supporters, to be with incredible personal finance experts and speakers, all people of color. I mean, if you missed this go around, I promise you, you're not going to want to miss round two in 2024. So if you were watching the Instagram stories and feeling all the FOMO because you didn't make it out to Puerto Rico, I highly suggest you start a sinking fund right now for the Our Money, Our Power 2024 Summit. Dates and more information are coming soon, but if you want to make sure that you don't miss our next epic live event, I need you to get on our email list. You can go to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com to subscribe, and I can't wait to see you in Xir. Now let's tune into this conversation with Farnoosh. All right, so when I thought about who I'd want to have this next conversation with, I couldn't think of anybody more qualified because she's actually written a book about this being the female breadwinner. And it's a very personal subject for me because I have always been the female breadwinner of every relationship. Not something I really learned how to navigate because my mom is not, my grandmother's not. And so I kind of feel like I've had to redefine what it means to be a woman and a woman in a relationship with a man. And it's very complicated. And there's a lot of stress around this conversation with money. Farnish, would you agree? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd love to kick off this conversation by... You sharing with us your breadwinner mm. story, because mm. I think it's a new frontier still for a lot of us. But growing. Yeah. I, I think that's something to celebrate. A lot of times when I tell people that I've written about this and I'm so passionate about it, it's interesting that the reactions are mixed. On the one hand, some people will say, thank you. Thank you for writing about this. They'll whisper because <laughs> they don't want anyone to know that I'm the breadwinner. Or then others would say, why is it a problem? And why are you perpetuating this myth that like women can't have it all and be the breadwinners and be successful. And I was like, I'm not 
trying to say this is a bad thing. I'm saying that this is complex. This is new territory for men and women. And we cannot fool ourselves to think that we can just walk into a marriage and just know what to do. Already money is a source of contention in marriage, no matter who makes what. You add to this this additional layer of complexity, this economic flip. And of course, we're going to be at a loss. We don't have the communication. We don't have the words. We don't have the emotions. We don't have... And so I think that what I'm really trying to do is celebrate this and move us forward. But to get there, we have to address the complications. So how I got here is fear. It's not just because I'm trying to sell a book. I'm telling you this with honesty. I was afraid of becoming my mother. I was afraid that I was going to walk into a relationship and a man was going to want to take care of me, but that was actually code for controlling me. And I saw this play out in my dating in my early 20s too, where I would go on dates. You know, I would screen these guys, you know, like I'm a pretty good reader of people. I feel like as a kid, we moved a lot. I was the new girl a lot in school. So I had to read a room real fast to survive. And so I could pick up on some of the cues. And so things like passive aggressiveness, sarcasm around what I was doing and my ambitions, I was like, oh, I see you. I know what you're about. And so I just felt like I was never going to be able to meet a guy that would celebrate and appreciate my goals to be self-efficient. I just wanted to be able to protect myself at the end of the day. And I knew that if I was going to rest and put all of my financial capabilities and wishes in someone else's domain, that I was going to end up being that woman like my mother who's going to have to ask my dad for a haircut or her husband for a haircut or her husband if she could go buy something. And I remember my mom, she didn't know how to write a check. This is back in the 80s. And she had to ask my dad to teach her. And But over the years too, my mom figured it out. She realized that financial empowerment was so essential. And I watched her go to work and make money and invest And it has changed her life, has changed her relationship with my father, where she feels more like she can voice in the relationship, say what she wants. And so anyway, this is just the context of how I grew up and what I saw. I saw them argue about money all the time, my father having it, her not having it. And so I said, nope, that's it. I'm not going to perpetuate this. And so I took that fear and used it to make as much money as I could and be very financially focused. And maybe that was unattractive to a lot of guys. And that was something I had to reconcile with. You know, I ultimately decided that for me, being financially independent and single, I was happier with that than being not financially independent and in a marriage. That's ultimately a decision I had to make. And it wasn't like an easy switch. I started to kid myself and say, well, who wants to be married? I never want to be married, but I did want to be married. But I realized like, I can also do this on my own. And once I kind of laid down that fear and I said, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I can do this on my own. That's actually when I invited love into my life Mm. because I was no longer afraid of who was across the table from me because I had my shit together. And when you're confident and when you're not worried about what the other person's going to think, like that's actually a great way to open up your options. My husband and I, we met in college, but we weren't dating. I just saw in him like a kindness that I actually recognized in my father. You know, I was like, this guy's funny. He's nice. He's kind. And then fast forward years later, we reconnected, started dating, got married. But I knew in my husband what ultimately what told me he was going to be the guy that for me, who wasn't going to step in my way. He wasn't going to mock me. He wasn't going to say, you need to quit a job. For me, it was in seeing in him that nothing intimidated him. 
He was secure in himself. You want somebody who can, like me, say to himself, I don't need anybody. I want to be with someone. I don't need to be with anybody. And so that doesn't say that, it doesn't mean that we never had our challenges around. We can talk about, you know, some of the complexities of being ultimately the female breadwinner once we were in a relationship, but that's how it all began. It was fear. It was wanting to protect myself. And it was a journey. There were times where I was like lying to myself where I was like, well, I don't need to be married, but I really did. And it was just about figuring out how to be independent on my own, how to take care of myself. And once I was like, whatever, I'll just have a kid on my own. I'll just buy a house on my own. (laughs) And then good things started to happen. Yeah. I can absolutely relate with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fear of being like my mom, being financially dependent on a man that was like never the vibe for me. I think by 11, I knew this. I'm like, I don't give a shit who's in my life. I'm going to write the rules here. So I can definitely relate with that. And I love what you're talking about is the ability to choose a relationship beyond I need this to survive. Yeah. It's like, you're not coming from that place of like, I need this person to provide a lifestyle for me. I can choose someone who is maybe more holistically appropriate for what I want beyond that. Okay. So is it actually possible for female breadwinners to be in happy, healthy relationships? Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. And actually there's new data, which you can't always read into data because the data is like, you want to find a statistic to support your thesis, like it's out there, but there is some uplifting data. It was covered widely in the press this year that marriages where she makes more in a hetero relationship, they're actually happier. Which when I was writing my book 10 years ago, that was the opposite statistic. So I think in, at least I can speak for myself and the people who I've interviewed who have had happy lasting relationships, it can work. And I am very hopeful that with our generation and then the next generation, it's going to become easier and easier just because there's always going to be like a sea change and our parents' generation, forget it. They wouldn't have known what to do. It would have been taboo. And then I'm sort of like, I'm Gen X, Gen Y. I'm like right on that cusp. And so I think I got to see both sides of it where the Gen Xers were still like pessimistic and skeptical of this and and doubting of it. But once you get into the millennial generation and certainly Gen Z, you start seeing more of an awakening and more of an acceptance of like, doesn't matter who makes what, like we should just, because here's the thing, they probably were raised maybe by a single mom, maybe by a dad who didn't work or you know, or more equitable relationship family. Maybe they had two moms, two dads. And so they don't really come into a marriage with general expectations. And so I'm hopeful. But yeah, I think that here's why I think ultimately it works great. Because when you are in a relationship and the woman happens to be making more and there's happiness, I have to believe it's because everybody feels like they're actually living their best self. Mm. This is specific to relationships where maybe she wanted this and he doesn't care, but actually he does because you know what he's thinking to himself? I don't have to carry this pressure of providing for my family, no matter what, at whatever it takes. Like think about traditional men or the way that a lot of young boys have been raised to think like you have to provide for your family. And that exclusively means with your checkbook, with your salary, with your job. And so they enter fields that maybe they're not passionate about. They don't really love the job, but they feel like they have to, they have sort of the golden handcuffs or what have you. And so because of the, the societal pressure, the conditioning, the hardwiring of like you as the man have to do these specific things as your manly duty, as your husbandly and fatherly duties to make all this money that they don't get the option to just like go, what do I want? So I think that it can open doors. It can allow couples to actually pursue 
for the first time maybe what they want to do. And general schmenderals, like we know this now, like it doesn't matter what gender you are, how you identify, like not one gender is better at cooking or not one gender is better at like making a lot of money. I think it's just whatever you thrive at, whatever you want to do, we're giving ourselves the permission to do that. I'm optimistic. I think couples where woman is making more and maybe it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. There was already a foundation of expectation that like, whatever, like it's whatever we want to do right now. I think we often arrive in a marriage with these rules and ideas of how it's supposed to go based on how we perform at work. Okay. Money is power. Money is power. Money is dominance, but not a relationship. Yeah. And I think we carry that theme into a relationship and that's a really big problem. I think that we all have permission to design relationships however we want them to work and not say, well, my parents did it this way or society wants me to do it that way. So that's how I should do it. And I will be very honest with you. I wrote this in the book. I said, you know, I'm, it's no secret. I make more than my husband. I don't lie about this to anybody. I wrote a book about it. But when we're amongst friends and I know that let's say we're two other couples and their husbands make more and they have more traditional relationships and the bill comes. You think I'm going to pull out my credit card and be the woman and then the two other men are putting, like, I'll just let my husband throw in the credit card because it's like, whatever, we're just role playing. Mm -hmm. Couples do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I'm a doormat to my husband. It doesn't mean that I am like denying myself of my financial independence or I'm perpetuating, but I've got a lot of this backlash. Like, how dare you? You should show everybody who you are all the time. And I'm like, no, I'm in a relationship and I want it to stick. I don't want to get divorced. I know what my husband needs. I know what I need. Like, so we're like figuring it out and maybe we'll change that over the time. Like now it doesn't matter. But in the beginning, that's how we kind of reconcile with it. Yeah. But now I don't, it doesn't matter because we're just all Venmoing or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> thank you for that or Zell or whatever. So I think that's to answer your question. Okay. All right. So how do we, and Allison touched on this during our conversation, obviously insecurities can come up when we find out potentially there's a huge income disparity. How do we navigate those conversations? What's your advice for managing our partner's insecurities? Is that even our job? No, it's okay. not your job. But if you care about this person and you want this relationship to work, you have to have conversations and they're not going to be easy. Yeah. And I think that before you get into the pay disparities and I make more. I think the first step, the foundation to like having a really solid relationship with money in your relationship is to say and talk about what your goals are, how you were raised around money. We got to get to the context because so often we just like, we see the difference and we judge. And like, I think earlier we were saying like, you got to close it and burn it at like your closet's not that great either, you know? <laughs> So figuring out how you both got to where you are. And sometimes there are icebreakers. Like maybe you don't say like, can you show me your W-2? But you say like, <laughs> tell me about college. If you know that this person went to college, like what was that experience for you? Did you like go part-time? Did you work? Did you get a scholarship? No, I got student loan debt. Okay, that's fine. That's not a deal breaker. But the next step is like, what is your relationship with that? How is that like... How are you like dealing with that right now? I mean, having these really thoughtful conversations that are personal about each other's financial situations can reveal a lot about this person's willingness to work through financial challenge, their open-mindedness or closed-mindedness, asking about how they were raised. I mean, one of the questions I ask on my podcast all the time is what is a memory about money that you had growing up that really sticks out because maybe it continues to 
guide you or haunt you, that's revealing. And it's not to, again, use that as a weapon against your partner, but it's just to give yourself an understanding of where they're coming from. You have to self-therapize, self-treat <laughs> yeah, each other. And then you should get into the actual financials. You know, my husband and I, there's a famous story. I've talked about it, written about it. We had been dating for a couple of years. Over the course of two years, we never really talked about actually how much we made or what we had in our savings accounts, but we got a sense of each other's financial sensibilities over those two years. Like you can tell real quick if he's cheap or if he's a good tipper, bad tipper, like how he spends based on how he makes, if there's like a curiosity there, like how are you affording these things? But there were never like a lot of red flags, fortunately. Nevertheless, before we were going to move in together, I was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a margarita bar. We're going to bring some post-its. You know where this is going. It's going to get hot. Um, and I said, we're going to bring down, we're going to write, we're gonna, you've got to come ready. I want credit score. I want income. I want savings. I want investments. I want debt levels. Date, date, night. And then we went to our favorite margarita bar, our favorite drinks, a place where it was like, it was Sweden. It was neutral territory. Switzerland? I don't know. Switzerland. Sorry. So we did that and we had one, two, three, go, flip. And it was fine. Yeah. It was actually fine. That you know, fun, actually. What? That sounds fun, especially it's after fun. a couple margaritas. I like to make it fun. I think that that's a good attitude to have. It's like, if you feel like you have found your person and this person is understands you and respects you and is self-aware and they're solid at the core, like they don't need you, they want you. Then you have a really, you've laid a great foundation. You have a great partner there to then have a fun talk back and forth about money. Because as my husband says, sometimes it's just money. And I almost cried when he said that because I didn't talk about this earlier, but in 2019, I got pitched a business idea from two other women that I loved immediately. I was like, yes, cosign. We ended up doing the business, but we went into a lot of debt to do the thing. And so on the one hand, I'm so proud of us. We did the thing. It was an experiential event in Los Angeles called Stack's House. I don't know if anybody's gone to Stack's House. It was like this three-week amazing, like, think of Museum of Sex, but money, okay? Or Museum of Candy, whatever. All these museums, these pop-up museums, we're like, let's do a pop-up museum for financial female empowerment. We could do, we should do this again. Yeah. But not with the debt, because yeah. I know I've learned no. all the things. But I had six figures worth of debt. Oof. I just paid off the last penny of it in March. And I was just like, I got to make more money. I mean, the whole, I was like, so, you know, when stress is like fighting your body, I was like, why is my hair falling out? Mm. Why is my skin so bad? Why can't I sleep? Why am I waking up? Finally, I'm a morning person. No, I'm just stressed. And it was because I was terrified of what did I just do to my family? Is this the thing that's going to pull the rug out? Like I made a really bad financial decision. As a breadwinner, I felt so guilty because my husband had entrusted me. And I would cry in the shower and I was like, I think we have to move. I think we have to sell our apartment and move. And to think that it was because I made a silly decision like that. But, you know, I just went head down. I brought in more revenue streams. I was keeping head above water for a long, long time, paying the bills. Like everything was fine. We did end up selling the house. I mean, the business was the impetus. I was like, we actually do need to move because the schools here are not great and we need more space. And so thank you, failed business, for bringing me this awakening about what other else things I need to fix in my life. But I'm telling this story because I felt so much shame around the debt. And my husband said to me, it's just money. 
We will figure it out. I think we learned this earlier today that when the universe keeps delivering you things to see those patterns, I was like, I have been in this business for over 10 years, every year making more money, always figuring it out. Why am I suddenly doubting myself to think that I'm not going to make another penny that this debt is going to dead end me? And it took three years and also extending a personal loan to one of my co-founders because she couldn't pay off the debt. And I wanted it all to be out of this bank debt because the interest rate kept going up. So all this to say, like, I make all the mistakes too still, but you know what? It's not about saying this was a failure. I have to rebrand this. This was a learning lesson. Absolutely. It was a fast track MBA. (laughs) I learned a lot about running a business in those years. And I learned the power in recognizing the patterns in your life and believing they will happen again. Because how did those patterns happen? Me. Yes, the world is abundant. Yes, I pray. Yes, I'm privileged. Yes, I came with maybe a head start in life. But also I did the work and I like didn't give up. You know, my husband knows that about me. Sometimes I forget that about myself. So finding a partner who sometimes knows you better than you know yourself. That's my husband, Tim. Mm. Shout out to Tim. Shout out to Tim. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. You know, I love you mentioning kind of understanding somebody's money story. That's a question I ask always on the podcast because it just gives so much insight to how we interact with it, right? And I remember when I first started dating my partner, I don't know how the conversation came up, but we started talking about credit and I was telling him, you know, about rewards and how I travel for free a lot just with points and he's like... I don't have any credit. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, what, what do you mean, sir? You're like 30 years old. Did he read Dave Ramsey's books? <laughs> so, funny enough, he said, my father said never to get into credit card debt or any debt because he's a Dave Ramsey follower. <gasps> not planned. I did not know you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, my father has paid in cash for everything except his house. He buys cars in cash. He doesn't invest in his business until it can be a cash infusion. He's never had a credit card. My father also doesn't have any credit except for like the mortgage, which he ended up getting as a joint mortgage with his spouse. So I was just like, holy shit, I didn't even know these people really exist. And now I'm with somebody who like is just completely on the opposite ends of how I grew up. I saw my dad. He was a rewards traveler too before it was trendy. Like I always remember we were going to Disney because of the Amex. I'm like, Mm. I thought everybody does this shit. What are you talking about? So it's just so interesting to have that context. And then you can start to understand like where those money beliefs come from. Mm -hmm. He's always been like, well, I've never had debt, but I've also don't have any credit. So it's been hard to get an apartment or to buy a car because you walk into a bank and they're like, what do you mean you don't have a credit score? As I'm hearing you, I think the money stories can reveal the weaknesses, but also the strengths. And that's one thing to always have faith in. Like I have a completely different money story than my husband. I mean, it's impossible for two people in a relationship to have the exact same money story, right? But I'm from a family of immigrants. He, his, his parents are divorced, mine are still together. So like very different sets of like relationships with money. And I always say to couples when there is a pay gap that when you are trying to address money in your relationship, the key is to try to level the playing field, not the contribution field in terms of like, the goal is not to like end up making as much as your partner. The goal is to feel both of you, that you are both contributing, not again with money, but with how you are participating in your financial life together. One of you might be an excellent investor saver. The other one of you might be great at getting deals and budgeting. And I will even say this for my husband who makes less than I do, you know, I don't expect, so how we've divvied it up, getting real personal here, how we've divvied up our expenses. Like we live at my income level. Okay. Which actually may sound obvious, but there are some people that traditional men I've heard, they're like, I don't care how much my wife makes. We live at my income level because God forbid she makes more. I want to always feel like I'm providing. So we don't do it that way because I want to, we want to enjoy, you know, like this is our money. That's the one thing that we had to get clear on. And I had to also get clear on that. Like, I think as we get married later in life, sometimes with our own financial life, we bring it into a relationship. Like that's my life. But I think there is, you got to at some point find where you're going to have common ground. And the way that we talk about money in the relationship is so important. So it's our money, but I take care of the bigger expenses that require a lot of capital every month because the way that I earn is like in big chunks throughout the year. You know, I don't have like, it doesn't drip for me. It's like sometimes nothing. And then like all of a sudden money. And so I have a lot of savings because of that, or we have a lot of savings because of that. So that can help to pay for like the big ticket expenses, like the mortgage and the taxes and things like that. So I'm sort of the cash flow lady in our relationship. My husband's the saver in the relationship in the sense that he is saving for our children's college educations because he makes a steady paycheck. It's not that, so he can't maybe do the lump sum things that are over maybe what he makes in two weeks or a month, but he can certainly save towards big goals. And what we found is that that strategy not only makes him a significant contributor to our family. So it's like college savings for our kids, vacations that he can like look back on that with a lot of pride 
you know, when we say like one day our kids went to college or whatever they want to do, he can say, I funded that. It's a point of pride for him, just like it's a point of pride for me to be able to pay that mortgage every month. Okay. So with your couple, it's like, what would make you feel like a real contributor? How do you want to use your money, whatever you're making, to contribute to our goals? And sometimes your values won't be aligned. I remember interviewing a woman who they, you know, she said, it's really important for me to have full-time caregiver for our baby. And my husband believes in just daycare or whatever. But like, we were not aligned on that value. Like I wanted a person in my home with my kid while I worked. So I fronted that. I paid for that. That came out of my paycheck. So there is a bit of that as well. Like you're not always going to have exactly all the same values. I mean, ultimately they still believed in like, we need to get someone to watch our kid. (laughs) But like, they were maybe just in disagreement about like who it was going to be, how it was going to work. And she said, this is just a non-negotiable for me. So to just move on, I'm going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And I think each one of you should have your own separate accounts. You have maybe the joint accounts if you want. It's not necessary. I used to be very strict about that. I used to be, oh, you, his, ours, like three buckets. I think at the end of the day, what's more important is transparency because like the bucket system or the how many accounts is just like, I feel like you're forgetting an important foundational step, which is like, do you even know what y'all have going on? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With technology, it's really easy to see it all on one dashboard. I use Empower, which used to be personal capital. It's free, the first like level of it. And that way we can pool all of our accounts. And at any time, if I want to see if my husband's paycheck came in, he can see. If he can see if I got paid, he can see. We can see the whole picture. We can see our net worth. And so that way... When I see all of our accounts, like we have a savings and then all of our savings accounts, we actually only share one saving account and it's not even the most significant one. But when I see all of our accounts and then I see at the top, your savings, that's the number that matters, right? It's our money at the top. Even though how it how it's broken down is like four of them are my accounts, three of them are his accounts, yeah. one is mine. At the top, it says your savings, which is mine and his. That's all I need to know. Mm. And it's a running number and I can always access it. I love that. Okay. So I think it's naive for us to think that we won't necessarily be influenced by the opinions of our friends and family Oh yeah. when they find out that there might be a little bit of a discrepancy or an inequality, if you will, with our incomes or careers. How do we navigate that? You have to have a lot of compassion. It takes a lot to say that. Because I want to be like, oh, ghost them, block them, <laughs> forget them. But I'm sorry, we can't, we can't forget our moms. And for me, my mother was the biggest skeptic in this pursuit of mine, which was ironic because she raised me to be empowered and go get the job, get the raise, get the fifth, get your master's. Okay, I did all of those things. I'm at the top of the climb. I climbed the mountain. She's like, great, find a husband's going to take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> are, are we watching two different movies? Like... I am the star of this movie. The credit just says executive producer written by Farnoosh, like co-star Tim, but like this is my movie. And that was a lot of, to say it, it's fine now because she lives 3,000 miles away. That helps. I love my mother, but, and she has come to me and she was like, I was wrong. But it, it did take a lot of me in the beginning trying to make her understand. And when that didn't work, I said, look, I want to be able to share with you. I really do. You're my best friend, but it's not fun anymore. And so what would you rather have? I said, I used fear again. I said, are you more afraid of me coming to you with another story about how Tim and I are falling more and more in love and this is going in a direction that you don't necessarily think is going to work? 
Or do you fear me never talking to you again about anything of substance, of meaning, of where my life is going? She had to think about that for a couple of weeks. And then she wrote back to me. It was an email because I'm better as a writer sometimes. Like it's hard when you're trying to say things to people, you want to get it right. So give yourself the permission to send an email. It's not that you're impersonal. It's just that you want to get it right and you want to get it on the record. Because <laughs> then it's like, well, you said I heard this. No, this is actually literally on the Gmail. So she came around, but you know, her biggest worry, and it was coming from a good place. That's why I have compassion. It wasn't because she didn't like him or because she doubted my abilities. It's because, again, she grew up in a generation and a time when there weren't, like my mother, I always say she had a stunted adulthood. She had me at 19. She got married and then had me at 19, moved to this country, didn't speak the language, no license, no checkbooks, no money of her own. And nobody asked her, my mom, nobody asked her, what do you want to do with your life? And the more important follow-up question to that, which is, how can I help? So she was, she was living in a different world. She literally was watching a different movie than I was because I grew up without any of those yeah. hangups. I had to basically live it for her to believe it. And I think the best compliment she ever gave me one day was, you know, I'm watching you in your marriage and I'm taking notes. I'm bringing it back into my marriage. I'm going for the first time on a girl's trip <laughs> with my own money. And I'm leaving your father at home and he's going to have to figure out how to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I'm not calling. And I was like, go girl, mom. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Welcome to the 21st century. We love that for her. <laughs> I love that for her. She's living her best life right now. And I want to believe that I opened her eyes to what is possible. I mean, in my book, I talk about, in this next book, I talk about how the fear of money has a very distinct feeling. It's different than the fear of loneliness or the fear of rejection. And if for me in my household, the fear of money is the sound of fists banging on a laminate table in the kitchen because my parents fought about it all the time and it shook me. And I took that fear into my life as an adult woman going, I don't want that sound ever again in my life. Yeah. And it made me who I am. And maybe it surprised even my own parents that this could happen. They could breed someone and then she becomes this like alien. <laughs> but ultimately, because I think they just surrendered, I was not going to be stopped. Like I said, I, I continue to engage with my mother, but at some points I had to create boundaries and I had to give her ultimatums. And I was like, this is not repeating history, yeah. you know? Let's talk about prenups, y'all. What are your thoughts on prenups? Do we all need a prenup? I think that increasingly a prenup is really important because people are getting married later in life. And even if you get married early in life, you're not who you are when you get married forever. Like you're going to start a business. You might accumulate more money. You might inherit money. And we know marriages tend to not always work out. So if you think of marriage as just another contract, like would you ever take on a job without signing an agreement? Would you ever do a deal without a contract? Would you ever buy anything of substance like a car or a house without an understanding in writing? So a marriage, you got to get a license 
I'm actually marrying my brother in the fall to his beautiful bride. I got to get ordained. This is like operation. So I'm encouraging them to get a prenup because my brother has a business. She might want to start one one day. I hope to God they never get divorced. I hope their marriage is happily ever after. But if it's not, you can speak to this really perfectly. Like your divorce was like, what, 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Because you had a lock solid prenup. So, and you can get a post-nup if you are like, oh, wait a minute. Or like you're real, you're sitting here. I'm like, I want to have a business one day and I want to be able to take that entirely with me if ever this marriage crumbles. The other thing too, is you got to know your state because some states will make it more or less obvious. Like I have to get a prenup. If you agree with your state's divorce protocols, then fine. But if you're like, Mm-mm, nope, no way, New Jersey. <laughs> then you want to rewrite and create your own draft. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. Get a prenup, y'all. For real. Post that prenup. Yeah, whatever it it is. And one of the questions that I get is like, how the hell did you even bring this up to your ex-spouse? And I like to defer responsibility to the professionals. So Uh, I told him, I spoke to a CFP and they said it's good for both of us. And that was enough. It really was. It was. It's true though. That is the honest truth. It sounds very, you know, like, I don't want you to ever take my money, but it's just that when you are getting, I've never been divorced, but I know many who have. And the thing is like the last thing you, you just want to be out. You don't want to be stuck in court. You don't want to be like dealing with this person. I just know. So do yourself a favor now. And if you love each other, you will do this for each other. It's not just hyperbole. Like it's actually... Yeah, the truth. And and it's honestly meant to protect both of you, right? I also approached it like, hey, I'm taking on a risk by quitting my job and starting this business and going full time. And I don't want you to necessarily be responsible for a lawsuit or somebody comes after me. It's just when you take the whole like narrative around prenups and then it's just like you're like a money grabber and stuff like that. And you really make it what it's, you paint it as what it's supposed to be, which is protection for both of you and the assets that you're building because you just never know. People change, right? I think it comes the conversation will be a lot smoother. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I've read a lot where female breadwinners still are carrying the overwhelming load of like domestic life on top of providing financially. How can we kind of combat those inequalities? You have any advice for that? Yeah, I have advice. I feel, I still feel like I, I feel like I do more than my husband, but I know he does so much. The first thing is like literally recognize the work that your partner might be doing that you're not aware of because it's not maybe the work that you value, but is important in the relationship. Like my husband takes care of so much that I don't see and likewise. So that can brew resentment sometimes when you're like, oh my God. You also have to know yourself. Like I'm a neat freak. My husband is not. And so I can't punish him for that. I can't divorce him for that. You know, like I feel like sometimes you just got to like, I feel like I lead by example in the house and eventually people start to learn. Like my son, I don't want him to grow up to be that guy that like leaves his socks around the house because he used to take off his socks and just like, (laughs) he's eight. I'm like, Evan, socks, at least put them on the staircase and then I will take it to your hamper. Like you got to start somewhere with the learning, but like leading by example. But how we do it is we outsource a lot of it. I invest in help. We have a cleaner. We have childcare to some extent. Now we don't need a lot of it. When we have a party at our house and there's 10 people, I will get someone to pay her to help me and our husband so that we can sit down and have a drink with people. I think like with where we are in our relationship with my husband, we're both just really tired at the end of the day. So I have to believe that we're both putting in the same amount of work. 
You know, like no one's like sitting like with a cocktail, like, oh, like, we're both exhausted every day. And I have to think that like, so whatever we have on our plates, it's even, Yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could talk about this forever. And I really am grateful for you opening up the conversation around what it means to be a female breadwinner. Who by a show of hands considers themselves a breadwinner in their relationship? We got a lot of folks here who can resonate. So please continue this conversation amongst your circles uh, with your peers. When this podcast episode comes out, please make sure to share it. And please make sure to pick up Farnish's book when she makes more. Because, I mean, it's literally written there for all of us to enjoy and to share. Thank you. So, thank you for thank being you. here. Thank you. Absolutely. My gosh. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Now we're going to answer some Q&As that we had in the audience during the conversation. For the sake of you actually being able to hear the question, I'm going to go ahead and read the questions that folks asked during the event, and then you're going to hear Farnoosh and I's response to these questions. How did you get over the emotional hurdle of being the female breadwinner in a relationship? So the emotions are different. Like they show up differently. For you, it showed up because I'm hearing like anxiety around like, entrusting your partner in, with the money stuff. It surfaced a little differently for me. I mean, we talked about my mom and like the cultural, emotional purse strings there. But I think also there was in the beginning, at least, this emotional hurdle of like feeling really lonely in the marriage around a lot of big decisions. Because my husband, I'll just paint the picture, like we were newly engaged, getting married. And I also decided like, Let's buy a house or an apartment before we pay for the wedding because then we'll know exactly how much money we have left for the wedding and I want to make sure that we're prioritizing. So we were doing all this stuff and I was in it, you know, I love all this stuff. It wasn't like I felt like it was a drag. I love like planning and I love real estate and I was like really into it. And he was there with me every step of the way, but quiet. On the one hand, I was like, great, he trusts me. But I was also like, oh no, what if I make a mistake? then it's all on me. I'm going to take the good and the bad of this. We're not going to share. We're going to share in the success, but if this fails, it's going to be me. That's what I thought. And so I just literally went up to him and I was like, uh, hey, I have to confess something. And I think it was like, we were like deciding on invitations or like we were like doing the mortgage, something, something. And I was like, I'm alone on an island called When She Makes More. And I don't have a lifeboat. And I, I feel confident, like I've made my house here and I've like, I got all my things, but like, I fear that like, if a hurricane comes, I'm gone. And like all these metaphors, right? He's like, what are you talking about? You know, he's like, what is this story? And I was like, listen, bottom line, I feel alone and I need you to voice and speak up. He's like, well, to be honest, and he was dealing with his own emotions, right? We had a big like emotion confession there. He was like, I feel like because I don't make more, I don't, have ownership of some of these decisions. Like it's not my place. Like yours, we're doing all these amazing big things and you're paying for them. And like, I just feel like I need to just be happy about that and not be like, well, I have an opinion because it's not my place. And I was like, no, please have all the opinions. Please have all the opinions because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I pretend really good. And he was like, got it. So that was just something that we had to get really vulnerable on. And I think recognizing that while you're going through emotions, your partner is too. And it's okay. And whatever the emotions are, they are valid. Because one of the things that I got a little bit of criticism on when I was talking about when she makes more and saying, you know, there's a chapter in the book called The Male Brain. 
And I know that's like before I was even schooled on like gender, but I talked to gender experts. I talked to sex experts. I talked to relationship experts and they all were saying the same thing. It's like, we're just hardwired differently. And the ego, the male ego is way more attached to like things like financial success. So when that's not no longer expected of them, they can feel a little lost at sea. They can feel a little like, well, what am I doing here? What's my contribution? And as a woman, it's just like recognizing that and calling that out. And it's okay if he feels that way. But the next step is to figure out, all right, how can we make it better? As opposed to what I was often hearing from people like, well, you should just divorce that guy. You should just ditch that guy. And I'm like, but I'm sorry, we can't help how we were raised. This is not fair. We need to respect where we come from and whatever the preconceived notions we have in a marriage, it is what it is, but that doesn't mean it's a dead end. Like a marriage is a compromise. A marriage is conversation. A marriage is like rewriting your rules. That's the opportunity. So just know that if you're feeling emotional, your partner is probably too, and just get it all out. Maybe sometimes also working with a therapist in the middle. Thank you. Karina. How did you battle through the, you're always working so much narrative that tends to come up as an entrepreneur while being in a relationship with a significant other? Before we had kids, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't, it never came up. I never felt guilty, I should say. I don't think my husband's actually ever said those words to me, like in the sense that like making me feel bad, right? Or like you're working too much. He might say you're working too much because maybe he recognizes that I'm stressed or I'm overthinking some things or like I'm letting things get to me, but it's not because it's at the expense of my ability to spend time with you or your ability to spend time with the kids. I anticipated that when you run a business, it's going to consume you before I started it. So what I decided was like, yes, that can be true, but I want to create some boundaries. Like you got to have some non-negotiables for yourself. You got to take care of yourself. When your partner says these things to you, maybe it's not coming from a bad place, actually. Maybe he's saying, or she's saying to you, you need to like take care of yourself better. Because it's not all about work. Like the marker of success for entrepreneurship is not that you're working 24-7. That's hustle mentality. That's toxic hustle mentality. All the time I heard it in the early days. So like maybe there's actually a hint of truth to that and you want to maybe find, okay, what is the way that I can work smarter and not just work harder? Because your relationships are more important than ultimately your business. Yeah. If If you want them to last. (laughs) So it's not to say stop. It's not to say like, do this because you want to make someone else feel better. Do it because you want to make yourself feel better. Chances are you're not feeling good about it either. Yeah. I would also say it's important to communicate that there are going to be seasons to this process, right? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like now I'm in a space where I can dedicate more time to my personal life because my financial security has been established. And so I think part of thinking about why you want to pursue financial independence is potentially to give yourself more space to just like enjoy shit that doesn't have to do with surviving. And so for me, that's been a really intentional decision to allow myself to enjoy the fruits of my labor now that I can. So to carve out personal time, to really enforce boundaries with my business and also like get really good at doing the things that make a lot of money. So you don't got to work so hard because in the beginning, it's really common for an entrepreneur to throw all the shit at the wall and hoping that all those crumbs can add up to something. But when you get in the groove of getting good at making money, like that is a skill set that you can then continue to hone in on and use that to your advantage to create space for the rest of your life. How do you discuss with your partner what parts of your story to share publicly with the world and what to keep private as a public figure? 
particularly with like female breadwinners, that topic, because it does more than any other topic I talk about within the money space involves my husband. So when I wrote the book, when I told him I was going to write the book, he said to me, that's a great idea. (laughs) And then I was writing the book and I would make him read every chapter. And I said, you're getting first look at everything. You tell me what you, you know, he really didn't make any changes. And so everything I talk about is from the book. And if there's additional things that come up, I don't think that my husband, I don't have anything bad to say. And if I do have, if I talk about our issues, if I talk about complexities, like he knows that it's not because I'm just airing our dirty laundry out there, that it's actually intended to help and help the next couple. And he knows that about me. Like at the end of the day, I do what I do because I try to help. And it's not trying to like make a mockery of what we have going on. And I think that's one of the benefits of being, knowing someone for as long as we've known each other, you know, that we have that trust. So, but I think you got to talk to your partner and and say, like, give them a first look, a first take, like, this is what I want to talk about. What are our boundaries? I get worried when comedians go on stage and they talk shit about their husbands and and, and vice versa. And I'm just like, wow, that... I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. But for a laugh at the expense of someone else, I don't know. I'm not saying this stuff at the expense of my husband, our relationship. I'm doing it at the expense of someone not making another mistake or having the ability to stay in their marriage, you know? And I think laughter is important and nothing against comedy, but I think it's a personal decision. It's really a personal decision. You respect people's boundaries, but you can still own your part of that interaction, that narrative. So I can tell a story about what I learned about money without having to call my mom out by her name. I can talk mm-hmm. about what influenced me in the household. I can talk about how my ex-husband and I interacted with money without y'all even knowing who he is, right? So it's not to say that like you can't share your story. I think it's just important to share your perspective versus trying to like demonize them or character assassinate. There's never anything productive that comes out of those conversations. Thank you, ladies, so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, Sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of The Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. 
On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.